0: No matter what career you go after, a business you have, we spend more time at work than we do anywhere else. So let it be something that you love and that you feel an incredible, incredible purpose for. That will always be the right path for you.
1: Welcome to The In Factor. This is a live recording of the In Factor podcast. This is the podcast that I host and I've hosted for about the last year and a half. I'm Rebecca White. And today we're gonna to be recording live here at the California Entrepreneurship Educators Conference. And I wanna thank my good friend, Alex DeNoble and his staff there at the Lavin Center at San Diego State University. And I wanna welcome my guest today, Lisa Drexman. Lisa is the founder and CEO of Fit for Mom, the nation's leading company for pre and postnatal health, wellness, and fitness programs for moms at every stage of motherhood. Since its launch in 2001, Fit for Mom has created business opportunities for moms nationwide with 300 franchises. And I think I saw about 2,600 locations now across the United States. In addition to being an entrepreneur, Lisa is a speaker, author, and a podcaster. She's appeared on the Today Show, CNN, Access Hollywood, and and in motherhood magazines, such as Fit Pregnancy, and many more. Every day, Lisa lives by Fit for Mom's mission of helping mothers make strides in fitness, motherhood, and life. I'm so excited to have her on InFactor today and so excited to be doing this at San Diego State. Lisa, Thank you for joining us today.
0: Thank you so much for having me and so excited to be here with this great audience.
1: Yeah. So I am really excited to hear about your story. You started Fit for Mom 20 years ago, and now you have 2,600 locations, I think, across the United States. That is an amazing story. Let's talk a little bit about how you got here. Share with our listeners a little how you got started. And did you start out to be an entrepreneur? Was this always a part of you No, business? I
0: was not looking to start a business. I had been in the fitness industry for about a decade at the time, and I was a new mom, and I needed a community. I had so many questions about motherhood. So I started a stroller workout that I did with my son so I could get in shape and have fun with my baby. And I decided to invite other moms to join me. I figured as a fitness professional, I could help them get in shape and they could help me with all the questions I had about motherhood. And I guess I wasn't the only one looking for that because the idea it's called stroller strides was our first class took off. And I ended up not having to go back to work and turning it into a business.
1: That's an amazing story. You know, I remember those days and I guess your baby now, since that's 20 years ago, is all grown (laughs) up. He's at college now. (laughs) So it's really exciting. But I can remember I was a runner back when I was pregnant with my first child. And I remember a neighbor saying that that child was going to come out running. But it was my therapy as much as anything, too. And so I totally get it. And I love the community aspect. So speaking of motherhood and entrepreneurship, those are two Very challenging experiences in and of themselves. How was it being a new mom and launching a company? How did that go? Well, it's
0: funny. Yeah. I mean, I started the company so I could be a mom first and foremost. I didn't want to go back to work full time. And so I thought, all right, this is a great thing where I can do it with my baby. What I didn't expect was that the company was going to take off like it did. So this was August 2001 when I started it. Now I want all of you to, listeners to realize there was no Facebook, no Instagram. There That's was no right. social That's media right. then. So this grew on pure word of mom. We started getting emails from women from across the country who said, I want to start a class or I want to join a class. And so I ended up franchising the business. And so this little community business that I did so I could be a mom first and foremost, took off like a rocket ship. And so I would definitely say that figuring out how to balance work and motherhood has been and continues to
1: be probably one of the biggest challenges of the business. You know what? Well, there's a lot in there that I'd like to talk about, but I love that word of mom. That's
0: a yeah. great question.
1: Yeah. <laughs> So what happened was you found a need in the marketplace, right? And you didn't know that gap. I mean, you knew you personally had that problem, but you found out there were lots of others that did. So how did you end up growing your business? There are a lot of different ways to do it. And I think you chose a franchising path. So um, talk to us about how you got there.
0: Well, it's funny. I created this model in San Diego. I grew to 12 locations in San Diego in the first year, and I hired instructors and I was very procedure oriented. So, you know, I had exactly how we do things. So when we started getting requests from people who wanted to start classes, I wanted to share the same career opportunity that I was having because I was having the time of my life. And I was thinking, gosh, if other women could have this opportunity to have a career that integrates with motherhood, I wanted to share that. And so I didn't know, is this going to work in cold places like New Jersey and hot places like Arizona? So even though there was interest for a lot more, I sold six licenses, not franchises, because that was first recommended to me. I sold six licenses and the good news is that it did work. We learned a lot, but it worked in all of those locations. And so then we started licensing. That was the original model. We started licensing across the country. And long story short, within a few years, we had 128 licensees across the country. It was just felt like the American dream. It felt so good. The Today Show came to my home and did a whole segment on us. Wow. And a, About a week later, we got a letter from the Federal Trade Commission saying, we think that you're a franchise and not a license, and you need to defend yourself. And I was a new business owner with not a lot of resources and not a lot of money, And so I went to a special franchise attorney and he said, if it looks like a franchise and smells like a franchise, it probably is a franchise. So we did end up converting to be a franchise, which is a very different business model. So luckily it did work out for us. None of our our licensees wanted to leave us. And so here we are. And, you know, 20 years later.
1: So, you know, I've had a few students along the way, and I'm sure some of our other listeners have as well that that have wanted to pursue franchising their concept. And typically you need to prove it out first, right? What are some of the steps that someone should take if they're interested in that? And what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of franchising?
0: Well, Rebecca, I'm so glad that you said that you need to prove it out first. So you want to make sure that you have proof of concept. So in your hometown or wherever you're doing the location, make sure that it works and make sure that it works by anyone, that it doesn't have to be just you. Sometimes as entrepreneurs, we are the magic. And so you wanna make sure that anybody can run this business. So I love SOPs, make standard operating procedures for every part of your business, so that one day this can be repeatable and replicated by somebody else. It really depends on the type of business that it is. Franchising, I'm a huge fan of franchising for the franchisee. It is a great way to be a business owner and not have as much risk. It's a great way to be in business for yourself, but not by yourself. As the franchisor, I would say, proceed with caution. It is a very expensive business model. You really have to make sure that you have the investors and the capital to sustain it and the infrastructure to sustain it. There's a lot of responsibility legally and how you support
1: your franchisees. hmm So, so what are some of the, that's all really great advice. So as a franchisee or someone who would like to be, to buy into a franchise, what are some of the things that you should look for in a, in a franchise opportunity? It's like, what are some of the things to look for? And maybe what are some of the things to, to
0: avoid? Yeah. I mean, First and foremost, always find something that's going to match your passion. You want to make sure that whatever business that you are buying is something you're super passionate about. And nowadays, there's a franchise for everything from, you know, child care to gardening, you know, right. there's there's a franchise for everything. The nice thing about franchising is that everything is very public. So you'll get a, an FDD, which is a franchise disclosure document. It is a very long, boring document, but it gives you all of the history of that business. It's going to let you know what it entails, what the real costs are. Make sure that the brand feels like a fit for you. Speak to other franchisees to see what their experience is. I will tell you that franchising is not for everybody. If you are not a rule follower and you are just like very independent and you want to go your own way and be a trailblazer, you're an entrepreneur that wants to start your own thing. It has to be that you really, you love the brand and
1: you want to follow the structure. So that would be my recommendation for being a franchisee. That makes a lot of sense. Now, now, earlier you mentioned that a big part of your vision for this became helping other mothers, right? Yeah. Find a great job opportunity while they were raising their children. So what makes you know running A Fit for Mom a franchise that would work for a young mother? What are some of the things that you do and, and what's some of the structure that you've built in that makes mm-hmm. it work? Yeah, I think what makes it work
0: is first of all, it's always been a very low cost franchise. So, usually, when you think of franchising, you know, you think of a six figure investment. Our franchises right now are about $6,000. So, it's a low cost investment. It is also something that can be done from home. It can be done remote. It is not about that you have a brick and mortar business like a gym or a fitness center where it has to be open certain hours. You are really the creator of what your schedule is, who you hire. And for a lot of the classes, not all of them, but a lot of the classes, you can bring your baby to work with you. So what's been interesting over the last two decades of running this business is that we see usually it's young moms who will buy the franchise but as their kids grow up, the business grows up. So, as their kids grow up and they start to get more time and space, they also have more time and space to build their business.
1: And so, they both kind of grow in a very congruent manner. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, it sounds like to me, you've probably had some of these franchisees with you for a long time, for a number of years. Yeah, we so have. To stay with you. Yeah, we've
0: had some franchisees who have been with us for 17 years.
1: Yeah, wow. That's a great testament to what you're doing. And you know I heard you talk about building structure so are you naturally a very organized person are you an operator type has <laughs> that helped <laughs>
0: I am a learned operator. I mean, I, I clinically have ADD and I'm an idea monkey who has a million ideas. So I do believe in continuous growth and so I have continued to learn from the best operators and systems and programs. So I really I think it doesn't matter which system you use, but you need to use something and you need to stick with it. So I am very diligent about how we do operations, but I wouldn't say that that was probably my nature.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We've all, sometimes we have to, that comes with being a mother too, right? We have, yeah. <laughs> you learn a lot of along the way to there that you have to adapt to. So with regard to the way that you've built this company, do, are most of these entrepreneurs that are running these franchises, are most of them solo entrepreneurs or do they have employees? Do you have employees and what kind of, if so, what, you know, what is it like to be an employee and work with this company?
0: Yeah. I mean, so for us at home office, we have about 30 employees right now. Most are full-time, but a handful are part-time. Certainly with COVID, we are all remote, but even before then, we were a pretty flex company. Our franchisees often start as solopreneurs and then start to add team members. So usually the first people they'll add would be instructors, so they don't have to teach all of the classes. And then you know, sometimes some people will add like a social media director or a marketing director. Some people add in sales. It kind of depends on what is their strength. And so we always try to encourage our franchisees. We want you doing the things that you love and the things that you're good at. The things that you don't love and the things that aren't good at, those are the first things that you should outsource. So again, the longer they're in business, their teams usually build. And so we have quite a variety of franchisees, some who it's almost a hobby for them and others who are really running it as an empire.
1: Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, you know, interestingly, on Wednesday, actually, of this week, I did a presentation for a women's group in a corporate organization. And they were asking me a question, which I'm going to ask you. And they wanted to know, you know, because you've worked with a lot of women, and are there behaviors and beliefs that you've seen that a number of women might hold that hold them back in business versus really help them advance? Because it sounds like you've given them a lot of tools to help them advance. Are there some things that you have to help teach women to think differently or to do differently so that they can succeed in business as a general role? Yeah. I mean, for us,
0: so much of it is the story about motherhood, not just being a woman. So I think that a lot of women have a story that being a mom is going to prevent them from being able to have the career that they want. And so we really talk about Work with life, work that's integrated with life instead of work versus life. We do a ton of work on how to actually create a, an ideal work schedule so that you feel like you've got time for all the things that are important to you. And we don't talk about balance because that doesn't exist. We talk about counterbalance. <laughs> I find also that working with so many women, I mean, honestly, we've had even our at our employee level, almost all women for most of the time, there's too much of a story about being nice. And I think that women need to get better at having candid conversations and that having hard conversations are okay. Like I think for too many years that we focused on being too nice and now we are really encouraging healthy conflict and healthy, challenging conversations. And that's what moves us forward. So I think that that's something that all of us can practice.
1: It's just amazing that you said that because that's exactly the conversation (laughs) that we were having Wednesday. And one of the things that I mentioned was that I had to learn to not take responsibility for the other person's reaction or response. Yeah. If I deliver my message in a way that I believe is empathetic and kind and honest and direct, then that, you know, that's the best I can do. And I, I can't take, I don't have to take responsibility if it doesn't get received the way that I want. And that probably goes back to people pleasing, right? And yeah, the, the desire. We don't want to
0: hurt anyone's feelings. I mean, I have had so many team, well, I don't want to hurt her feelings. And when we do our weekly check-ins and I talk about, are there any blocks? Are there any obstacles? I say, if you don't tell me regularly that we have a block or an obstacle, we are not having the right conversations. Like we have blocks and obstacles. Let's talk about them. Let's get through them. So we're really starting to encourage this so that it doesn't seem like it's a negative thing. It's not negative. This is how we do better and grow.
1: Yeah, Mindy Grossman, who's one of the CEOs that she was with Bloomin' Brands and has been with a number of different companies. I heard her say one time, that she likes to have her team members do an autopsy without blame. So oh, I like
0: you know, that. I'm, I'm yeah, writing that thought, one down. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I thought that was really a really good piece of advice, you know, to get to the point that we can kind of look at what's happened, like you were talking about, and looking at the obstacles, the challenges, even the mistakes we've made along the way, and not, not do a lot of blaming. Just say, what can we do about it now? Yeah. And where, where are we going forward? I think that's really important. So, you know, one of the things that with this podcast that I really like to dive into is the whole concept of resilience and perseverance and what I always call executing past failure. And <laughs> so, so could you talk a little bit? I always like to ask my guests if, they've, if they have a story about failure that they would be willing to share either their own or or one somewhere else in their company and how they dealt how you dealt with that and what you learned from that
0: yeah if you're going to be an entrepreneur you better just be able to face failure time and time again and just have the attitude that i'm always going to get back up and cuz otherwise you're just going to want to throw in the towel and there have been so many times in the last two decades that i wanted to throw in the towel my husband always gives me the advice he goes all right you can but not until you've gotten through whatever it is you're going through. And once you've gotten through it, if you still want to throw in the towel, I fully support it. And it's funny that he says that because every time I ever get through it, if I'm on the other side, I'm like, no, I love my business. I don't want to <laughs> throw in the towel. So you can never quit when you're in the loop. That's kind of the lesson. I like that. Um, I like that. The, the example that I gave you earlier about licensing was one of the biggest What felt like a failure? I mean, here I was a new business owner, relatively new business owner, and I had 128 licensees. And the Federal Trade Commission told me, You're a franchise and not a license. Now, what I didn't dive into is what that meant to us. We had to offer every single person their full money back, which would have bankrupted us. We had to go to franchise, almost like jail, franchise compliance programs. To you know, say we're sorry for the mistakes that we've made. And we had to learn an entirely new business, which was franchising really fast. I mean, you know what your business is, again, gardening, housekeeping, I don't know, childcare, technology, but franchising is a completely different business that layers on top of it. And I didn't have a lot of resources. I didn't have mentor groups like I do now and and coaches like I do now. So I felt really, really alone. And again, when you feel alone and you feel defeated, that's when you just want to throw in the towel. And I just kind of took it a day at a time and just kept saying, I'm just going to keep showing up and just learning and doing the best I can. And before you know it, you get through it and it's behind you. And the biggest benefit to going through hard things is that you learn you can get through hard things. And so the next time you have something hard, you're like, all right, I got this. I can do it. So you develop an incredible confidence because you've become more capable at dealing with these challenges. And so now 20 years in, There's not a whole lot you can throw at me. I mean, we've had everything from crazy lawsuits and I mean, all kinds of stuff that I'm like, I'm not saying it feels good. I'm not like ever celebrating when the challenge is in front of me, but you know, you're going to get through it
1: yeah that what there's so many great pieces of advice in that. First of all, I love your husband's philosophy. <laughs> that's probably a philosophy we should all use with our children and even mm-hmm. our students when they want to quit before they've dealt with whatever the problem is. I mean, I think you know I've noticed with a lot of my students over the years, it seems like you know I've been concerned about a lack of resilience. And I think that's exactly what we're talking about here that you build that resiliency muscle don't you by by going I through sure those do. experiences yeah I sure do do you find that optimism plays a role in this do you consider yourself an optimist or a pessimist or a realist <laughs> or a combination <laughs> when- When they do tests on optimism, I'm
0: off the charts. So that is sometimes not good. You do need a balance of realism. So I think it's really important that when you do build your team, you surround yourself with people who have different perspectives, different skill sets. One of the mistakes that I made in early years of the business is I hired people who were like me. And the thing is, you don't need another clone of you. You need people who are going to bring different experiences, different perspective. So now we're very, we almost take that on as a challenge. Like we do personality tests like Enneagram and we really try to make sure that we have different perspectives coming in. So I don't know if that answered your question, but yes, I'm an incredible optimist, but I surround myself with realists.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm always interested in that. My mom was, whose name she's passed on but her name was betty white so she had a great name but <laughs> she was sort of my entrepreneurial role model and so she had her own business and was was very entrepreneurial in many many ways but the one thing i always think about with her was the incredible optimism and mm-hmm. you know there's research that shows that entrepreneurs are often overly optimistic about uh, yeah. their ability to succeed but i think optimism is also because it's so focused on the future and a positive future. It's what carries us through sometimes when we're challenged, like you will be if you're, if you're running a company, right? I mean, it's just part of it. So, you know, along that line, were there things in your background that you think really helped prepare you for this journey? I know you've learned a lot along the way, but have there been role models, mentors, you know, either prior to or along the way that played a big role in this? For you? Well, it's
0: funny because I actually went to San Diego State and I never thought about being a business owner. I was a psychology major. I got my master's degree in psychology. But while going through school, I worked in the fitness industry and I fell into a job that just kept escalating where I ended up being the general manager at a very large, very high-end health club. And I am so grateful for that job now because that job forced me, I mean, they didn't give me a lot of budget to do everything, to learn about PLs and budgets and PR and marketing. And like I wore so many hats, and in so many ways, that was my MBA. I really learned about all different aspects of the business. So at the time I was very frustrated that they didn't give me more resources and more people, but like I learned it and I figured it out on the job. So since then, I've had many mentors and many coaches. I believe so much in coaching. It doesn't matter what you want to get better at. Like we have access to the best of the best now. So every single stage of this business,
1: including now, I still rely heavily on coaches and mentors. Oh, that's great advice. So if students happen to be listening, which they will be to this podcast Later, what kind of advice would you give them about finding a coach?
0: I get asked to be a coach very regularly. And actually, one of my mentees is, is on this call. The entrepreneur doesn't have time, if that's not what their job is, is to be a coach, to coach everybody. So my suggestion is first do your if there's somebody that you want to be mentored from, make sure that you have done all of your due diligence and taking advantage of everything that they've already offered. Like, have you listened to my podcast? Have you read my books? Like there is so much that I put out on social media and blogs and that kind of thing where I share as much wisdom as I can. I think that there's always different levels of coaches and mentors. So you might not get, you know, the Tony Robbins or whoever, you know, big mentor But there's probably somebody who's two steps above you who would be willing to mentor you. So again, show that you're willing to do the work, show that you respect their time because that is the most valuable asset that they have and just keep going after it. But nowadays, I just think we're also such a lucky time where you can learn from the best of the best through conferences like this, from podcasts like yours. Like I still listen to them. I mean, every single day, I listen to a podcast or a book every single day. So you don't have to have a one-on-one mentor to take advantage of some really great knowledge that's out there.
1: Yeah, it is amazing, isn't it? You know, Even the podcasts that I've done, sometimes I go back and listen to my own because (laughs) I just love what I'm learning from everybody. Like, Like today, this conversation with you, I take something every time that I listen to something. So this is all really, really great advice. And and I know that, you know, you work a lot with women and you do a lot of mentoring and you've you've had networks along the way. Has your network changed? That's a conversation that I've had with a few women about how networks have to evolve with you. Have you had that experience? Oh, absolutely. I mean what got you here
0: won't get you there. Every stage of your business from startup to your first hundred thousand, from your first hundred thousand to your first million, from your first million to 10 million, every single stage of business takes completely different resources, different expertise. So that same network that you had, if that was who was supporting you, you're going to need to keep elevating who you're learning from. And so there are certain networking and coaching groups that I'm a part of now that I wouldn't even been eligible for before. So you kind of earn your way up and you get access to again, you don't have to do five steps up just two two steps ahead of you that you can learn from.
1: Yeah, I really like that. Do you work with your franchisees? Do you all have a coaching program? And do you build relationships among those people? Yeah.
0: I think because I have such a heart for coaching and for learning and growth, I developed something called the Mom Business Academy. So that's just for our franchisees. It's funny because a lot of people are like, you should share that with the world, but right now it's just for our franchisees. And it's everything about leadership and growth and growing your company. And because all of you who are listening specialize in entrepreneurship, you went to school for entrepreneurship. A lot of my franchisees they come from the most varied backgrounds and they didn't have how to be a leader. They didn't have how to grow your business. So we see that as a really important thing to share and to coach people along so that they have access to those tools and resources.
1: Yeah, that must be, I'm sure that that's a very appealing part of being part of this, this entire franchise. What? How has the pandemic affected, you know, we're a year now, into this crazy, a little bit over year, into this yeah. crazy experience that we've all had. And what have you seen? You know, I know my daughter bought a, she and her husband work from home. They bought a Peloton and, you know, a lot of, you can't buy bicycles. Everybody's working out yeah. and exercising. But, you know, what's been the impact for you and your company? And what have been some of the things, changes maybe you've had to make? Yeah. I mean, it had a massive impact on us
0: because up until COVID, we were a full in-person program. So we do have classes for every stage of motherhood from prenatal to, you know, for everybody and every single class was in person. So when COVID happened, we had to very quickly pivot. So within two weeks, we taught all of our franchisees how to go virtual and how to make their programs virtual on Zoom programs just like this. We modified what class formats were. We taught them how to do lighting. We taught them how to you know, do passwords, how to market it. We created new email campaigns. And we quickly launched to something called Fit for Mom on Demand. So our own version of of a Peloton app, but just for mom fitness. And so for franchisees who maybe felt like they couldn't go virtual or that wasn't for them, they could at least offer Fit for Mom on Demand and be able to do a revenue share with us that way. So it's incredible what you can accomplish. I mean, Had COVID not happened, that probably would have been a multi-year process to transition into that. We did it really fast. So when there's a need, there's a way. Where we're at right now is I think it's a beautiful hybrid. I think that we will continue to have virtual classes and on-demand classes, but certainly people are eager to have a real-life connection again. And so we're excited to see classes opening up again.
1: Yeah, I think we all advanced about... 12 years in 12 months uh, yeah. in our ability to use technology. And I got a lot more gray hair. <laughs> <laughs> well, I color mine. So <laughs> it's there. But yeah, it was stressful. There's no doubt about it. And I'm sure that, you know, being pregnant during this time was really, really stressful. Do you have, do you interact with customers much of, you know, of Fit for Mom? And What was their experience or is there anything that you could share about, you know, how your business maybe helped them through that, this experience?
0: Yeah. I mean, it is such an isolating time. So what we helped our franchisees with was it's not just, Fit for Moms never been just about fitness. It has always been very much about community. So besides offering the fitness classes, we helped our franchisees with offering online playgroups with the kids and storybook time with the kids and virtual mom's nights out. And so we did everything we could to continue to connect people and offering workshops for pregnancy and brought in special speakers. And what was kind of cool about it was that whereas most franchises when they're in person are always kind of in a silo in their city, all of a sudden we were able, because of the internet, to share resources. So somebody would say, I'm doing this, I've got this great reader for storybook time, and they'd share their link with everyone. Or I've got this great speaker on pelvic floor rehab, and they'd share their link with everyone. So it was really neat to see, and it's continuing the fit for mom community, being able to cross over a little more.
1: Yeah. So as I'm listening to you talk, it sounds like this pandemic really advanced your not just your ability to adapt, but also the innovation in your company. Would you say Absolutely. that's true? I would definitely say that's true. Has innovation been an important element that you've put energy into up to this point, or is it something that is now more important maybe than it was? Or how do you how think about innovation? I think it's always been important. And I think I mentioned it earlier, my team teases
0: me and calls me the idea monkey because you know I have too many ideas for what could ever get done. I think that there's a fine balance. I think that companies do need to continue to innovate. I think sometimes that we almost innovated too often, where when you keep innovating, you forget about what your core product is and what your core why is. And so I think it's incredibly important that you do have innovators, but you also need to have integrators and you have to have people who are going to continue to operate your core business. And so, you know, in the coming quarter, we just did a leadership team and we're like, we're not taking on anything new. We're just going to like check in on what we have and make sure it's in good shape and, you know, <laughs> clean it up. So I think that there's a ba- I think you should regularly be innovating, but don't innovate so much that you have forgotten what your core product is.
1: So innovators and integrators, I like the way, the way that you talk about that. In your team there at corporate headquarters, how do you balance that? Is it in the people that you hire or the, is it in the policies and the, the work systems that you put in place? Do you do it, you know, do you do it purposefully or, or is it just something that you allow to bubble up from your team? It's a little bit of everything. First of all,
0: I want anyone who has an idea to bubble it up. So it doesn't matter what your position is, like anybody can, can bubble up an idea. One unique thing that we do at Fit for Mom is every quarter, all employees have to take an unplugged day and an unplugged day for us is a day off where you don't do appointments. You don't do meetings. You're not supposed to be with your kids or your spouse. You're supposed to take a day to just recharge. For you, that might be a run, yoga, it might be hiking, it might be doodling, like, we don't care what it is, but we want you to take a day to recharge. Because I believe that your big idea is never going to happen when you're busy, like, Mm -hmm. is never going to happen when you're busy. So I want to give them space to have those ideas. But certainly job wise, there are some teams that are more the integrators, they're the operators, they take our ideas and help turn it into a project. Like, I come up with the idea, but then they come up with a project timeline of, okay, we need this much time for ideation and this much time for content creation, this much time for production, this much time for marketing. Like all of that needs to be thought out. And so you do need to have, again, different skill sets and personalities to make sure you're able to get those ideas
1: done. Yeah, I love that. And the idea of recharging, I mean, I think, you know, it's really hard when. Especially when you're running a business, to find the time for reflection and planning and all those things, you know, the working in the business doesn't allow you time to work on the business. Do you have to work yourself? I mean, do you have to give yourself permission to, <laughs> to reflect? Or is that something that you learned early on to take a recharge day and, and pass that on to everybody else? Yeah, I mean, it has evolved. You know, certainly the unplugged days were something originally I just
0: did. And then I realized, oh, everybody would benefit from this. And it started with just the leadership team. And then we realized, no, every employee needs this. But we do some other things that help with that. Like, since you and I are both podcasters, the part of our brain that uses that we're ready for podcasting is very different than the brain that's in a meeting or very different than that's in the brain that's doing emails, right? And so the mistake that I used to make was trying to do everything every day. And you just can't bounce back and forth from that. So now we actually divide our week in themes as far as the types of work that's done. So for us on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays are big meetings days. And honestly, they're not my favorite days, but it's like you just pound in all the meetings. But Tuesdays and Fridays are reserved for that deep, creative work or getting the work done. And
1: just really, it works so much better for me to have days allotted for this. Oh, that is such great advice. And it's something I've kind of learned as an educator, you know, because teaching is very different than doing this, for example, yeah. the podcasting. And even though they're both, you know, interacting with other people, they're very different activities as well as doing research and writing. I mean, completely different activity. Completely and then everybody- different. Yeah. And everybody has the meetings that we have to deal with. So what, what great advice. And to be, you know, I think a lot of us learn to do that individually, but to have a company structure that allows for that, I think can be really empowering.
0: We kind of needed to do that because if I were just trying to do it by myself, then what happens is people are keep trying to book a meeting with me, right? On Tuesday, right? <laughs> and admittedly, it can't work for every department. It can't work for every, you know, like if you're in customer service, like, your job is pretty much the same all day long. But if you're in a leadership position where it really varies the type of work that you're going to do, we have found that this is a successful way to do it. You need time to get the work done.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think Cal Newport wrote a book called Deep Work, and he talked yes. about, you know, do you like, that's a great book. love yeah. that book. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. And basically, you know, our cognitive work is hard. Mm -hmm. And just you just have to, you know, plan for it and allow for it. So this has been such a great conversation, but I'm really curious about what's next for Fit for Mom and for Lisa Drexman. Are you going to do you think you'll keep a lot of the changes that you made with the pandemic? You know, what's the future look like? I really do. I don't see online fitness going anywhere. For so
0: many of us, we realized, ah, I don't need a gym. I might like working out at home better than I like working out in person. For a lot of our clients, they like the combination of both. They want to be able to go see their friends and have the class, but hey, if it's a rainy day or they're Baby's napping or whatever it might be, it's nice to be able to have some online options. I think what's next for us is that we really want to make sure that we're the voice of fitness and wellness for moms. And again, that it's not just in-person classes. So with this new app and this new technology that we have, we have the ability to do so much more. So like we just released a 30 day nutrition course called Gather, which is helping moms make healthier habits and has recipes like That's nothing we ever would have done before. So I think we'll be creating more courses and being able to reach moms in a different way and about different topics so that we're
1: really helping women find the strength and motherhood. Uh, I love that. You know, in education, it's been the same. I think there's a lot that we've missed about being in the classroom with our students. But I also think we've learned a lot about things that we can do maybe even better one of the benefits that I've seen is, you know, this podcast has grown. And I've been able to have people like you who are out, you know, I'm on the East Coast. Yeah. And you're on the West Coast. And my students can hear your story without you having to fly here or <laughs> you know, they can interact with you that way. And that that's pretty incredible. I think the power of what we've been able to learn and do. And you know, It's been a very tough year and it's been a year of loss for a lot of people, but it's also been a year of opportunity and the entrepreneurial mindset, which you clearly have, is one that finds that opportunity and problems and it's Absolutely. really impressive. It's really impressive what you've done. You know, I could talk all day, but I know we have a time frame here and we're going to, you and I are going to be talking with some of the conference guests in a few minutes. But I always like to invite my guests to provide one piece of advice that, and that's a really tough one because you've already given us so many (laughs) great ideas and thoughts. But if you had one piece of advice for our listeners, what would it be? And, you know, we have a a lot of different kinds of listeners, but a lot of them are aspiring entrepreneurs or practicing entrepreneurs. What, What would that advice be? That piece of advice would be to lead with your passionate purpose.
0: You know, really, I have a son who's in college. So he's like, mom, I don't know what I want to do, you know, and what are you most passionate about? Where do you think that you can make a difference? What are the things that you're good at? And where all these things intersect is helping you find what your passionate purpose is. No matter what career you go after, what business you have, we spend more time at work than we do anywhere else. So let it be something that you love and that you feel an
1: incredible, incredible purpose for. That will always be the right path for you. That's great advice. Appreciate you sharing that. Lisa, where can our listeners find out more about you and about Fit for Mom and can they connect with you? Absolutely.
0: If they want to find out about fit for mom, it's fit with the number four M O M fitformom.com. dot You can find us at our website and on Instagram, Facebook, all the things. And then I'm pretty easy to find it's Lisa Drexman. I'm on Instagram and Facebook, and I don't host the podcast anymore. But if the idea of reclaiming your time and your health and yourself is of interest to you, then my podcast, the empowered mama and my book, the empowered mama
1: might be a fit for you. Wonderful. Thank you, Lisa. This has been fantastic. It's been great to talk to you, Rebecca. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about entrepreneurship, we would love it if you hit that subscribe button. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of InFactor.